This morning's gospel lesson is written in the 12th chapter of the gospel according to St. Mark, beginning with the 28th verse. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but Him. To love Him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that He had answered wisely, He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then, no one dared ask him any more questions. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, how is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened with delight. Here ends our gospel lesson. Please bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, our God, our Redeemer, our Rock, Spirit of God, fall fresh on us today. Lord, open my lips so I can declare your praise. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. You know, before, um, before I wanted to start, I, I was just struck. You know, the Psalm 119, if you could just turn to it in the LBW. Uh, I know it's a digression, but I think this is really important. And, and Karen here, she is a scholar in biblical languages. And Psalm 119, if we were to do the whole psalm, we would be reading 176 verses. Call response. It's a long psalm. Now, if you look at, you know, the, the first part, the first eight verses where it says Aleph up there and then Beth, well, the first word of each sentence, each uh, um, like verse, right, is, starts with the Hebrew letter Aleph. And in the next set, every sentence, every verse starts with the word of, that starts the verse, starts with the Hebrew letter Beth. And it goes all the way through the entire Hebrew alphabet. And you know, that's amazing. Think about this, how the Holy Spirit works. Remember, this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I mean, we see it in English and we don't see the beauty of it because the, the words that we translate, it doesn't show that. But if, you were, if we were reading it in Hebrew, every of the words of the first eight verses, the first word that Mel said would start with an olive. And then the, the next eight would start with a Beth. I mean, isn't that amazing how the Holy Spirit would inspire the psalmist 
that would just flow out of the psalmist and it would create this beautiful pattern. That's how God's Holy Spirit works. I mean, isn't that amazing? You know that this is the inspired Word of God. And, and it's sort of, it, it's, it's a wonderful thing to be able, if you see that in the original text, to see this beautiful pattern that flows through the text. And I praise God. But in the translation, it's lost, except I found it for you. <laughs> so there you go. So think about that. When you look through that, there's a reason that they put that in there. It's to remind us how the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we, don't, we can't fathom it. And that inspiration created this beautiful pattern in the text. So, but that's not quite a digression because today we're, Jesus you know, speaks to us strongly about uh, the, the work of the Holy Spirit. And how, you know, again, you know, it's, it's, when I was in seminary, you know, they kept, you know, uh, talking about the Trinity, and they'd say, well, the Trinity's not in the Bible, really. It's something we've imposed on the Bible. I disagree. I disagree. That today we see the Trinity in the text really clearly, if you have eyes to see. Really clearly. So I'll start. First thing. Jesus, this man asks a question. And have you ever thought about it? It's like when you, when you look at the, the old, in, uh, from Genesis to Deuteronomy, that's considered the Pentateuch. That's the law. So when we think of the law, we think of the Ten Commandments as good Lutherans because it was drilled into us in confirmation. So when we hear about the law, first thing we say is the Ten Commandments. That's not quite the whole story. The law starts in Genesis 1-1 and ends at the end of Deuteronomy. That's what the Jews always considered the law. So it was, yes, a legal code, but it was also the promises to the patriarchs. The law included the promise that God made to Abraham that said that one day, yes, I choose Israel. Abraham, I choose you. I choose your descendants. But one of your descendants is going to make it so that the whole world, all the tribes of the world, will be blessed by God, will be blessed by me through a seed, one of your seeds, a singular. So you see, when we take the law as too narrow, we can exclude the most important thing in the, New, in the Old Testament, and that's the promise of the Messiah. And see, that was the problem that the Pharisees had that day. And we do not want to be Pharisees. We want to be children of Abraham, children of the promise, God's children by faith in God. Not in the law, but in God, the one who gave it. That's important. And you know, that, that's, I think, I have to tell you, it's lacking in the church today. I mean, I hear a lot of lobbying, a lot of, you know, that stuff being preached out there as Christianity. We have to focus on what's important in the law. And that's what Jesus is bringing out today. We're not about being kinder. Remember, I said this last week in the Friday night service. 
and, and, in, and the sermon on Sunday that my colleagues read. It's no, we're not about being kinder, gentler, better people, better citizens, don't speed, never cheat in our taxes much. And, um, <laughs> you know, all that kind of thing. We are about believing in the living God and, le and leading transformed lives and being different people. That's what Jesus is talking about here. So they ask him, you know, this guy comes along, it's the truth. Like, you know, Jesus, tell me. You know, I get confused by all, these, all this stuff. So tell me, what is the most important thing to, you, to God? What's, what's, what does it really all boil down to? And Jesus says, it's right there. It's right in front of you. It's in the Word. It's in Deuteronomy. Love God completely with your heart. That's your personality, who you are, your being, your soul, your life force. With your understanding, with everything, love God. And love your neighbor the way you love yourself. And boy, that's one I understand because I love myself. You know, I remember a couple of years ago we had a play and it was a thing that I think um, Karen Emmond and Danny and some others wrote and I got to star in it. And of course, they understood me completely. And I remember having to start the play and the mirror in the bathroom in the morning going, oh Lord, it's hard to be humble. And I sang it, you know, when you're perfect in every way, Every, I, you know, every time I look in the mirror, I just get better looking each day, you know? And it's like, and it's like they captured me perfectly, right? We understand that. And you know, it sounds so beautiful. Doesn't it sound beautiful to you? Because I love those words. I love to say them. You know, love God, I love you. And my neighbors, I love you. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But is it really possible? Look at the text. Look at the text. Look even with Abraham. Twice, because of a famine, he went down to Egypt. And God sent him there. And twice, he was afraid to call Sarah his wife. He said, my sister. She's my sister. Well, she technically was because she was a stepsister. But was it the truth? You can answer. You can say, no, it wasn't the truth, Pastor Ed. Okay, good. Because it wasn't the truth. He didn't have faith. I mean, you know, Sarah, you know, God said, Sarah's going to bear you a son. And it's like, Abraham, really? Well, you know, I don't think, I don't know. I don't know about if that's true. So I, I, Sarah says, well, I've got this really beautiful young Egyptian woman here, Hagar. She's my property. So if she has a child, child's my property. That must be what God means. And they have Ishmael. And what's the consequence of that today? Right? Right? Okay. And then you read through Chronicles and Kings. I mean, look at David. David, a man after God's own heart. A guy who said, you know, God, I trust in God. I'm going to go after a big guy with a slingshot and a rock. And he kills a giant. And yet, what does he do? He messes up so many times. Worst father in history. 
He had a son who, who led a rebellion against him. And on and on and on. And if you look at the, at the, the records of the kings and it says, and you know, and like Manasseh, one of the kings, and nobody was as bad as Manasseh. That they all followed the Baals. They all did this. They all did this. Throughout the history, they haven't, they haven't even, the people, the children of Israel were not able to love God. As much as it sounds beautiful and as much as we may delude ourselves that somehow we love God, if we're honest and we really look at the text, we see that we can't. Even Paul, you know, I love, I, I, I have to say that one of the things that I loved, I got when I first started really reading the Bible when I, in, in the 90s, the middle 90s, I, someone gave me a Jerusalem Bible which is a translation by the Roman Catholics. And so I was reading Paul's letter to the Galatians, and I'm reading along and reading along, and Paul says, no, you know, like in the NIV, it's very polite. You foolish Galatians. You know, the King James, you foolish. The Catholic Bible, the Jerusalem Bible says, you stupid Galatians. I thought, you can't write stupid in the Bible. But he says, you stupid Galatians. I here, I set you straight. I appointed elders. We got the church going. And you turned. You want to become Jews. You want to impose the law. That doesn't make you righteous. No one's ever been able to live it. See what I'm saying? And that's what Jesus wanted the people that day to understand and to get. That's why the scribe who said this, you know, that Jesus, what you just said was incredible. He said, you're close. But you're not there yet. And the reason he wasn't there yet, and a lot of us, and myself included, are not there yet, is because we, un we don't quite really understand and believe that we can't do it. We can't love God with all our heart. We can't even love our neighbors as ourselves. Because, you know, Jesus, in Luke's gospel, when he's asked, and by the way, Jesus, who's my neighbor? He says, your enemy. Your enemy is your neighbor. And I want you to love your enemy. Who's your enemy today? I pretty much have to tell. <laughs> yeah, who, we all got enemies. And the question is, do you love them? We cannot follow. We cannot. We cannot do this. As beautiful as it sounds, as much as we want to, we cannot do it and if we if we're just enthralled by it and think it's beautiful and we're all happy about it we're close to the kingdom of God but we're only close but when we can in our hearts in our minds in our souls if we can say you know Jesus my closest neighbor who I sleep with 
almost every night when she's not out of town and I'm not out of town, is my wife. And I don't love her the way I love myself. Right? Guys, we talked about that on Saturday morning. Don't even do it. So, I mean, but if we're there, we're getting so close to the kingdom of God. We're so close that we can reach out and touch it. That's how close we are. Because you have to repent before you can enter the kingdom of God. You have to be able to say, Jesus, that was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. I'd love to do it, but I can't. But show me how I can do it. Because there's got to be a way that I can. Right? Don't you want to know how you can do that? Don't you want to know how you can love God with all, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor, including your enemy, as yourself? How? This is the key. You know, so, and, and it was Luther, I'm going to tell you, it was Luther who helped everybody to kind of put these two things together. Because like, okay, you hear this beautiful thing and then all of a sudden you have Jesus ask this question. How is it the teachers of law say the Christ is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How can he be his son? And the large crowd listened to him with delight. Okay? Jesus quotes from Psalm 110, and that's the first line of Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is a psalm of David, and, and Jesus just said that. So no matter what anybody tells you about who wrote Psalm 110, if you happen to go to seminary or listen to the Discovery Channel, they are going to say, well, we really don't know who wrote it. Right there, Jesus said, David wrote it. Good enough for me. Should be good enough for you. Okay? So here, and, and what's amazing about this Psalm 110 is David is given a vision of God speaking to someone else and God inviting this someone else to come up and sit on the throne with God and reign with God. So David is speaking through the Spirit about God and someone who is equal to God and can sit with God on the throne. The Messiah. So, who have we got in this text? We have God in three persons. One God in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How do, who does that sound like? Someone say it. Very good. <laughs> We're getting better at this. I love it. Okay, because we have to have a dialogue, okay? Because, see, we see the Trinity here. We see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you see, the whole thing is, do you, do you love it? And you know what God says to the Messiah? God says, and I, because why? I'm going to ask you to come up and sit with me on the throne, and I, God, is now good. You know, who puts, okay, if you were a king, and someone was going to put a stool under your feet, who would put the stool under your feet? Would it be someone higher than you or someone lower than you? A or B? Very good. 
But here we have God saying to the Messiah, I am going to put a footstool under you and it's your enemies. God is serving the Messiah. Why? Because the Messiah, the Bible says, is going to come to the world and is going to be completely obedient to God. You read the Gospel of John and, and throughout the Gospel of John, all Jesus ever says is, I am doing my Father's will. Right? And in all the other Gospels, Jesus says, I am doing my Father's will. I am being obedient to my Father. And I'm going to die on the cross on the third day. I'm going to rise for what? To ransom many from their sins. And that's why he can come up and be on the throne with God because he completely, completely, fully, without any question and without any reservation, fulfilled the greatest commandments. And Jesus promises, if you believe that about me, then you fulfill those commandments through me. And why do I know? How do I know that that's true? The Pharisee talked about sacrifices and offerings. It was God who instant. You know, like a lot of people as Christians, sometimes it's like, ooh, it's disgusting slaughtering animals to please God. Right? Don't you think it's disgusting? I mean, you can be honest. Yes. But what God was trying to teach us is that I, God, am telling you that a sacrifice, something outside of you, can be used for your benefit. And so when Jesus dies on the cross, he is our sin offering. Read Isaiah 52, 13 to 53, 12. He becomes a guilt offering, a sin offering. He dies for our trespasses. It's all in the text. It's all there. It's all the, the obedience that Jesus, when he obeys, it means all of those things. And he does it. Why? to love God and to love you and me. That's why he does it. And God created a whole system of sacrifice to get it through our thick skulls, and they're pretty thick, and our stiff necks, and they're very stiff, that it's possible for God to put sin, to put trespass, to put everything on a victim and the victim dies for us if we get there we're very close to the kingdom of God we can reach out and we can touch it that's what Jesus is saying and you know that's what communion is about think about this 
What do we say in communion? We, in our confession, what do we say? We confess this all the time. And do you get it that we confess this gospel lesson every time we have our confession? Because we say, Lord, I did not love you with my whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and I did not love my neighbor as myself, right? I mean, we read it every, t- every other Sunday. We read that. We read this gospel lesson again and again and again. This is an important gospel lesson. And, and, and what do the words of absolution say? Jesus was offered as a sacrifice for you and for your sins, and because of that, God forgives them. That is the kingdom of God. If you believe that, you're in the kingdom of God. Right? Right? You can say yes. Okay, good. Thank you. Okay. Do you believe that? Yes. And so today, if you come up here believing that, the kingdom of God is going to reach out and touch you. When you eat the bread and you drink the wine, the kingdom of God is going to touch you. So you don't have to reach out. He'll reach out and touch you. Amen.